Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're going to be talking about a biological topic which uh, has has fascinated me for a while, ever since I was reading about a family of frogs that I'm going to come back to in a bit. And uh, and this is the idea of transparency or translucency in animals, animals that have clear or at least translucent skin or other body parts. Yeah, and just uh, thinking about this topic brought me back, made me think about some stories that I probably haven't read in about 20 years now. But uh, the, the tales of Fritz Lieber, a genre writer who lived 1910 through 1992. Uh, fun note, he was the son of actor Fritz Lieber, so he's technically junior to his senior. Fritz Lieber Sr. was in films like 1933's Phantom of the Opera, starring Claude Rains. And then Fritz Lieber Jr.'s son, Justin Lieber, was a philosopher and a sci-fi author in his own right. I think at some point I just popped open his Wikipedia page and I saw there was a top line reference to him also being, in addition to being like a, a sword and sorcery author and science fiction author, a chess expert. And that was one <laughs> of those things where I was like, is that real or is that just like something that, that the author themselves or someone associated with them kind of snuck in there? I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not as, uh, as up on the, the, the full Fritz Lieber uh, biography there, but, uh, but he, he wrote a lot of stuff, uh, various genre works. Uh, 
some of his stories were even were also adapted into I think uh, like a couple of episodes of Night Gallery back in the day. But okay. uh, the the closest the thing that's closest to my heart the, the the material that I'm familiar with are these stories he wrote about these two characters, uh, Fawford and the Gray Mouser. Uh, so this is your sort of iconic adventuring duo and he's these stories helped make it iconic you have a pair a barbarian and a rogue and they get into all manner of adventures these were these were very popular stories i think they had a, an influence on the development of dungeons and dragons and they hold, oh, they hold oh. up pretty well too well if it's a barbarian and a rogue that sounds like uh, conan and subatai yeah, 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 very much uh, of, of that vein. Um, so th- they're great fun. They're always encountering various enemies and magic and magical creatures. And in one work in particular, I believe this is uh, The Swords of Lankmer from 1968, they encounter ghouls. Now, uh, I, I love ghouls as they appear in various other works of fiction. Uh, these ghouls are, very, are, are rather different. And I think when I first read Fritz Lieber's ghouls, I was a little, I wasn't that into them. I was like, ah, this, this, is, this is a little too different from what I'm used to. I just want, uh, you know, bone-chewing, pallid humanoids. Uh, because he takes the idea in a, in a rather different direction. Okay, so your standard ghoul is just a sort of deathly-looking humanoid who hangs out in graveyards and eats grave flesh, right? Right. These ghouls have translucent anatomy. Essentially, they just look like a walking skeleton because all of the soft tissues in their bodies are transparent. So the only thing you can actually see is the skeleton unless like the light is is just right because they're you know it's not true and it's not magical invisibility it's supposed to be uh you know translucent tissue based invisibility so you would only see the skeleton in most cases though there is more than the skeleton they've got some some fleshy soft squishy bits but those those just let the light pass right through yeah everything is see-through except for the skeleton uh, so i actually just want to read a little bit from uh, the swords of, of lankmar from 1968 After an instant's shock, Fawford realized that these must be ghouls, whose flesh and inner organs he had heard, with much skepticism but now no longer, were transparent, except when the skin became sallowly or rosily translucent on the genital organs or on the lops and small breasts of their women. It was said also that they ate only flesh, human by preference, and that it was strange indeed to watch the raw gobbets they gulped coarse down and churn within the bars of their ribs, gradually turning to mush and fading from sight as their sightless blood assimilated and transformed the food, granting that a mere normal man might ever have the opportunity to watch ghouls feast without becoming a supply of gobbets himself. That is some prose. Yeah, yeah, he was a good, good writer. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of fun and whimsy, uh, too. Um, so the ghouls in this story, they describe themselves as being uh, crystal-fleshed. And, uh, and they see it as their sort of sacred responsibility to consume the flesh of, say, human beings. Because our flesh is, um, is murkier, you know. It's, it's not uh, that translucent uh, purity. Uh, so when they eat it, uh, they, they eat our flesh, it eventually becomes translucent. It becomes crystal inside of them. Hmm. There's a female ghoul that uh, pops up in these stories that I believe uh, uh, Fawford actually ends up uh, falling for after a while. And she also has a great <laughs> a blood- story about ghoul romance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ghoul romance. Uh, but uh, uh, there's a bit where, where she's uh, talking about like the differences between, um, between ghouls and humans. And she tells him, bones are beautiful. They are made to be seen. 
<laughs> and there's another part where uh, Fawford asks, is asking questions about what's it like to be a ghoul, and he picks up on a bit of um, a, a, a scientific critique that often comes up when discussing things like H.G. Wells' Invisible Man. He says, well, how can you see anything if light passes right through you. He asks her if ghouls happen to see with the inside of the back of their skulls, and she responds, quote, look closely into my eyes. No, without getting between them and the fire. Can you see a small rainbow in each? That's where the light is refracted to the seeing part of my brain and a very tiny real image formed there. I love alternative visual anatomy. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I love that he he, uh, he he made sure to actually throw that in there uh, to, to address how his ghouls uh, see anything. But anyway, like I say, when I first read of these creatures, uh, I, was, I was like, oh, this is too different. I, I, these are not ghouls I can really get behind. But now as we're about to jump into the discussion of some amazing natural world organisms that have various levels of translucency to their bodies, uh, I'm looking back on Fritz Lieber's ghouls and I'm like, these are amazing. The ideas of these uh, these translucent fleshed beings like jumping into battle with their axes and to everyone on the other side, they just look like skeletons because that's the only part uh, that isn't see-through. That is great. Okay, well, I guess the first example of a, of a real animal I want to talk about today, uh, a group of animals actually known as the glass frogs and a little bit of terminology distinction. I guess we've already said these words, but... Um, but transparency versus translucency, if, mm -hmm. if you're not familiar, transparency, you can think of as being clear like glass, pretty much allowing all light to, to pass through. Whereas translucency, you can think of like frosted glass as allowing a lot of light to pass through, but not as much as a, as a total clarity. You'll find that these are though sometimes used interchangeably, even sometimes in scientific papers though. Yeah. Uh, so the so-called glass frogs comprise many different species, but they all belong to the family Centralinidae, which is found in regions throughout Central and South America. These are mostly arboreal creatures, meaning they live in trees, often in rainforests, and especially near sources of fresh water. So if you want to find a glass frog, uh, most of the time a good place to look is like on leaves overhanging the bank of a jungle stream. But if you were to go out looking for one of these creatures, you might have a bit of difficulty, uh, difficulty finding the frog, even if you're looking right at the leaf where it's perched, because glass frogs can blend in very well with foliage. And Rob, I attached a couple of pictures for you to look at here of various green and yellow species of glass frogs perched on a leaf. It's especially good to look at like a leaf that's sort of lit from behind. And the frog will be right next to a collection of what look like little semi-transparent, semi-opaque spherical globules. And these are actually the frog's eggs. One of the most striking things about the glass frog family is their skin. Now, most species of glass frogs appear from above to have a kind of... Uh, moderately translucent skin, especially on some parts of their, their dorsal side, such as like the toes or the legs. And so you can see the blurry specter of bones in their toes or in their legs, which is very creepy and very cool. This, this would be like crystal ghouls. You can actually see the bones through the skin. Some species take this even further and have not only semi-translucent legs or parts of the backs, 
but nearly totally transparent bellies. So this would be the belly, the ventral side. Uh, again, not all species, but with some, it can be almost as clear as glass. And you can look through and see their internal organs in full color, including a little tiny beating heart and a big, thick red artery going down the middle of the, uh, of, of the inside of the stomach, a big coiled white mass of intestines and so forth. I mean, they remind you of the visible man and the visible woman anatomy kits that yeah. we, uh, I, th- I think we, we all grew up with, uh, you know, where you have the, the, the plastic see-through skin and you, have, you, you put all the little organs in there. It's, it's like this frog is meant to be an anatomical um, education tool. Now, a- another uh, feature only tangentially related to their uh, transparency or translucency. If you've ever seen the planet Earth feature on glass frogs, it includes uh, at least one species of glass frog that shows this amazing egg defense behavior. So with these frogs, what will often happen is that there will be a clutch of fertilized eggs sticking to the side of a leaf that may be hanging above the water. And there will be a father frog guarding the eggs. Now, these eggs are apparently a favorite food of local carnivorous wasps that will kind of zoom in and try to, you know, munch on them and, and pull the pull a partially formed tadpole out of the egg and take it away to eat it. But the frog fathers actually defend their eggs literally by kicking the wasps, which is amazing to watch. You, you should look up this clip. Yes, I was watching this earlier, as, yeah, as, as is often the case with, with Planet Earth footage. Uh, very impressive, gorgeous to watch. But it also really drives home how much the, the, the glass frog looks like a clutch of eggs on the back of, of that leaf. Yes, they often have marking or coloration patterns on their backs that makes the adult male frog look like a clutch of eggs itself. So it just kind of blends in. And then when the wasp gets close, it kicks. Mm-hmm. One of the amazing things is seeing so it's this tiny little frog, and a lot of these uh, the, these frogs are so small they might be just a you know the size of uh, the size of a fingertip, maybe a couple of centimeters. Uh, I mean they vary in size with different species, but most of them are very small. But then when you see that leg suddenly launch out like a spring, it, <laughs> it, it it's like enormous. It, it's incredible how far it reaches. But to come back to the glass element of the glass frog. What is this translucent or, in some cases, nearly transparent skin for? Why would it be of evolutionary benefit to this frog to to have parts of its body being almost clear? Well, I think for a long time it was presumed to have some kind of uh, role in camouflage, but we didn't really know for sure. Uh, But there was a paper published in 2020 by James B. Barnett et al. in uh, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences called Imperfect Transparency and Camouflage in Glass Frogs. And this was really interesting. It, It did some experiments to try to look at the translucent skin of a glass frog and say, what does it actually do in practice? Like, does it work as camouflage? And if so, how? Now, they start by giving some background on biological camouflage in general. 
for example, camouflage patterns on animals can can help in multiple ways. They say they can prevent both detection and recognition. So you can imagine those as two slightly different things. Preventing detection might mean that a predator doesn't notice you at all. Like they don't mm-hmm. see that you're there. Whereas preventing recognition might mean that if the predator sees you, it doesn't recognize you as what you are. Maybe you look like something else. And the authors mentioned that there are multiple ways camouflage works. It can work by, say, matching a background. There are lots of examples of this, but you can think about a moth or a butterfly that has uh, patterns and coloration on its wings that resemble the patterns and coloration of the bark of a tree. It lands on the tree and it just kind of blends in. Another thing would be mimicking particular background features, trying to trying to recreate textures that, that would exist in the background. And another thing would be disrupting or breaking up edges, trying to uh, have patterns that make it harder to tell where the outline of an animal would be. But they raise an interesting question. What if you're an animal that lives in a habitat where you can't always predict in advance what kind of background you will be the foreground of? What if you're a vulnerable creature that needs camouflage, but you live in a highly variable environment? Mm. Evolution has at least one solution to this, which is active color change. So uh, we've talked about this on the show before, but think of octopuses with their chromatophore cells that allow them to shift colors and blend in with seaweed or rocks or the, the sandy floor of the ocean. Uh, there, there are tons of amazing videos of this you can look up where, you know, you, you wouldn't even see it. Like a, a octopus just lands among some rocks or some coral or seaweed or something, and it just becomes them. It's amazing. Yeah, I just uh, almost a year ago, I got to observe an octopus in the wild in, in Hawaii. And uh, yeah, it got to watch it do this. Uh, it was amazing. Like one of these situations where you watch it go to some rocks or a bit of coral, uh, blend in. And since you've been watching it, you can still make out where it is. But if you move your eyes away from it from just a se- for just a second and then come back, uh, it, it, you can't see it anymore. It's still there right in front of you, but the camouflage is so perfect. Uh, it's just quite amazing to behold. Totally. And another classic example, one probably everybody's familiar with, chameleons. They can Mm -hmm. change colors to match background uh, uh, surfaces in order to better blend in. But, of course, having something like chromatophore cells evolving this capability is, is of course, a a very uh, niche evolutionary specialization. So you need that that history feeding into it. It's also, of course, biologically costly. Mm -hmm. And the, the authors point out that the efficacy of active color change can actually be limited by things such as the range of patterns available. So an animal that can actively change its uh, its markings and, and, and color patterns can't do that to an infinite degree of flexibility. You know, it's still, it's going to have surface features and colors and, and like it can change somewhat, but it can't look like absolutely anything. Right, right. And another thing is the speed of change. So it takes a minute. You know, you can see this even with octopuses that can change very fast, but it it still takes a few seconds sometimes. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. 
And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So is there any other way to blend in with your surroundings? Well, what about transparency? Transparency, of course, has the ability to create very high-fidelity camouflage because you can literally see through to the background. It can match anything in the background. There's no limitation on the colors or patterns available because you're just actually seeing the background, and it works instantaneously. There's no time needed to change if you just are transparent. Of course, there are difficulties with transparency as well, but one example I I might use would be, um, if you've ever seen pictures of this, there is a butterfly known as the glass wing butterfly Mm. that has, uh, you know, like all butterflies, it has large, beautiful wings, but most of the surface of its wings is actually transparent, like like a pane of glass. It has a sort of orange and black and white outline of the wings, but most of the wings, you can just see right through them. And they're not even reflective. They don't cause a glare. I I was watching um, a video about this, actually, and the glasswing butterflies are able to prevent their wings from being too reflective or, or, or shining back with a glare by having these little tiny nano pillars of wax on the surface of the, the transparent membranes that sort of break up uh, light patterns. I think kind of like the way that you might have uh, you know cones of foam on the walls of a studio to break up the reflection of sound waves. On this, they would break up the reflection of light waves with these tiny little wax spikes all over the wings. Of course, you can't see them because they're too small. Instead, it just looks like clear glass. Yeah, these are weird to see in, in the wild because it does look, even as they're, you're watching them fly around, it looks like, well, something or something has come along and just punched sections of their wing out. Uh, it's just you know, completely translucent. But the wings wouldn't work, of course, if they just had holes right. in them. Instead, they actually had to evolve layers of cells in their wings, thin layers of cells that would allow light to pass right through and would prevent the the surface of the wings from picking up glare from the sunlight but also would still be solid enough to work as wings. Yeah, they're they're sort of like Wonder Woman's invisible plane, right? Right, right. But I think it works for the the butterfly because the material of wings can be very thin, right? Mm-hmm. It's a sort of uh, thin. I, I believe it's made mostly of chitin in this case. Uh, you know, chitin and and cells that can allow that to happen. It's going to be harder to do with, say, like the thick, fleshy body parts of something like a frog. And there are also strategic limitations to camouflage uh, via transparency, especially on land. Some aquatic animals use transparency for camouflage, and we'll get more into that in a bit when uh, I know there's some examples you wanted to talk about, Rob. But uh, terrestrial animals run into some different problems because uh, on land, the authors write, quote, image distortion may be more obvious than in water. And that kind of makes sense, right? It might be easier to see the the weird way that even a pretty clear thing like a glass wing butterfly's wing still causes a little bit of distortion in the background it does it's not as if there's nothing there it's just remarkably clear for an actual biological surface now of course glass frogs are terrestrial animals they make use of transparency or translucency especially pronounced in some species uh, and it is presumably a camouflage tactic but as i said earlier we don't really know for sure or at least before this paper it was harder to know like is if it is a camouflage tactic how exactly does it work and does it does it work at all could that be empirically verified 
Uh, and especially given some strange features, such as the fact that the that in the ones that are very clear, the really clear part of the skin is usually on the ventral side, the belly side. Hmm. And that's the part that would be facing down to the surface that they're perched on. More often, they tend to have some dorsal pigmentation. So on the back, they might have sort of green and yellow color patterns. You can see they're not totally clear on the back. And so the authors of this 2020 paper did a number of different experiments uh, contained within it to, to try to figure out what was going on with these frogs. So they, they like simulated the vision of predators that prey on the frogs in the lab and looked at uh, frogs with differing levels of translucency or opacity to see if it made a difference uh, for those predators. They also tested it just with humans looking at them to see if there were differences in, in detection or recognition times. Uh, uh, based on how translucent or opaque the frog is. And then they also performed an experiment in the wild with simulated frogs. They like made fake glass frogs out of gelatin uh, with, with different levels of opacity versus translucency to see if it affected predation. And what these experiments found was that the, quote, perceived luminance of the frogs was the, the big thing that really changed. And it changed depending on the background compared to opaque frogs. So I, I think one of the really important things to understand here is that the, the translucency of the glass frog doesn't actually change the color of the frog very much. I mean, it's it's basically most of them have some kind of green or green yellow coloration pattern mm -hmm. and that pretty much stays the same what actually changes is the amount of light that is allowed to pass through the frog and specifically parts of the frog such as the outlines of the toes and the legs and the transparency of these frogs actually did help them blend in with the background especially when they're you know they're on something like a leaf and it will allow light to pass through their bodies in a manner consistent with the leaf underneath especially at the edges where their legs are meeting the surface and they did find ecologically that this level of transparency did increase survival so the frogs that let more light through their skin got preyed on by birds less hmm now, coming to, uh, I mentioned the legs. They say that uh, the, the legs made the biggest difference here. They said that it was the legs, quote, which surround the body at rest and create a diffuse transition from background to frog luminance rather than a sharp, highly salient edge. So I think that's the important way to think about this. What does the glass frog's translucent skin do? It doesn't make the frog invisible, and it doesn't necessarily change the color of the frog. Instead, what it does is it sort of erases the outline of the frog. Hmm. Instead of a sharp line of color change or high contrast between the frog and its background, instead, there's a gradual soft transition from background to frog because the frog skin allows that light to pass through. And this is a camouflage strategy they call edge diffusion. The real purpose is to take away your body's outline. I, I like that. Yeah, I mean, you see that in, in various uh, like military camouflage uh, designs as well. And it, it always makes me think of, have you ever seen these examples of, of playing cards from World War II, where each playing card has the outline of a different uh, enemy aircraft on it? Hmm. The idea being that it'll sort of, while I guess the soldiers are sitting around playing cards, they'll 
also end up boning up on what particular enemy aircrafts look like, uh, what their outlines look like in the sky, so they can identify them. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it would be kind of like then, okay, if we have the, the basic outline of the, of the airplane uh, in, in people's minds, well, what can we do to break up that outline so that it's not instantly identifiable? Because whether you're talking about animals or you're talking about uh, uh, in, in, in the natural environment or you're talking about uh, humans in a military situation, it's like seeing something, identifying something, and then comes uh, whatever the action is. And if you can yeah. break up that chain of reactions, then you can buy yourself some time. Right. And the, the outline is incredibly important for that recognition component. Like, mm -hmm. uh, Rob, again, you can look at these uh, pictures I attached near the top of this section here, both of which are of glass frogs perching on a green leaf that's being sort of brightly lit or lit from behind. And in both cases, actually, uh, no matter which direction the light source is coming from, the soft, diffuse edges of the frog really do help it kind of look more just like a kind of spots on a leaf or something yeah like i mean both of these cases it's uh, the, the frog is pictured next to a pile of the eggs and like i say the frog looks n more like a pile of eggs than a frog it looks more like you know you look at it and you're more likely to say what is that weird jelly shape oh it's a frog as opposed to instantly identifying a frog it just throws you off even for even just a fraction of a second uh, it, and this is in a case where we know what we're looking at it's a, supposed to be a picture of a frog yeah, and sometimes a fraction of a second is all you need. Maybe yeah. if you're trying to uh, avoid the the gaze of a bird that's passing by or a wasp that's passing yeah. by or something. If you're trying to kick a wasp in the face, that sort of thing. But as I mentioned a minute ago, while the the uh, use of translucency or transparency in animals is uh, somewhat rare on land, it's actually more common in the water, and there are some uh, amazing examples in in uh, marine organisms. That's right. Yeah, there are a number of examples that I think line up quite well with, with camouflage. And, uh, and in all cases, I guess it helps to be kind of small. The smaller you are as an organism, the, the, the easier it's going to be to have some sort of a translucency or transparency to your body. Um, that being said, there are some very large um, jellies uh, you know, they take up a fair amount of space that, of course, are, are uh, to, to varying degrees translucent. But this is why the chances of actually seeing something like one of Fritz Lieber's ghouls or, say, a translucent elephant are, <laughs> are pretty slim. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, there are a lot of lot of uh, creatures in the sea that, that match up with this. You have things like glass octopi and so forth. Um, but, uh, yeah, there are also just some really strange fish in the sea. There are so many strange fish in the sea that, frankly, not being a strange fish is a bit strange. And one of the stranger <laughs> fish that you'll likely see is an image of the barrel eye fish, Macropinna microstoma. So I, I think a lot of you have probably seen this image before. And if you were to look up Macropinna microstoma or just look up barrel eye, you'll see the one or two famous images of this fish. It's a fish so strange that uh, you'll likely say, well, where does a fish get off looking so strange? And then hearing you, this fish will gaze at you with its two tubular eyes, staring straight through the translucent fluid-filled shield that composes the upper portion of its head. This is uh, just a bizarre and, and I think oddly kind of cute 
looking fish at least in the, like i say there uh-huh. there are a couple of photographs that are that are out there just all over the place because this one really tore up the the nature blogs years ago and and even i think your less scientifically inclined uh boards and and so forth were like what is this look at this strange creature how can this be you know what it reminds me of is i, I had to look up the name of this because i didn't know what it was called but the uh you remember those glass balls they would have in like Worlds of Wonder or something with the mm-hmm. uh, the electricity inside? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's apparently called a plasma globe or a plasma lamp. Yeah, it looks kind of like a plasma uh, lamp for sure. Yeah, so it's like a it's like a, a clear glass uh, ball, and then inside it'll it'll be filled with some kind of noble gas. I don't know neon or something, and then it will have a high voltage electrode in the middle. And I guess uh, what when you touch the you touch the glass, it sort of like tries to jolt out at you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what this fish's head looks like. They, you're just looking in at I don't know if that's brains or what. It's it's it looks like plasma. Yeah, this this creature. So to be clear, most of this fish is not translucent or transparent. But the top of the head is, and inside you see primarily these two big tubular type globes, and these are the creature's eyes. Mm. So I'll get get back in a second to what this means, but um, this creature is the the only known member of their genus, but they are part of the barrel eye family, Opisthoproctidae, home to the spook fishes, as they're called, with that, that all have these weird tubular telescoping eyes. Um, now, these deep-sea creatures have eyes like this, so they can uh, look, uh, they can lock into a vertical position, but they can also scan the depths above for possible prey. So, uh, uh, so imagine yourself living kind of deep, uh, but you're, you're also concerned with the uh, the, the lighter regions of the ocean above you because that's where potential food is. So you need to be able to look straight up while yourself remaining in a horizontal position. And so that's what they've evolved to do. Uh, but then they can also direct them forward as well, obviously to aid in such forward-facing ventures as, say, actually eating the prey or dealing with things that are happening on your level of the ocean. But all these other tubular-eyed spook fishes, uh, they do not have this this strange uh, translucent uh, head situation going on. This is something that we find uh, particularly in uh, the Macropenum microstoma. And I was reading about them in a paper. This was uh, published in the journal uh, Copia, and it's uh, by authors Rob- Robison and Ryzen Bichler, and it's titled Macropenum Microstoma and the Paradox of Its Tubular Eyes. Mm. So I want to read. I want to read just a quote from this quote. The most striking aspect of these fishes, when first viewed in situ, is the transparent cowl-like shield that covers the top of the head, and the prominent tubular eyes within. The shield is a tough, flexible integument that attaches to dorsal and medial scales behind the head, and to the broad, transparent subocular bones that protect the eyes laterally. This fragile structure is typically lost or collapsed during capture by nets, and it has not been previously described or figured. Beneath the shield is a fluid-filled chamber that surrounds and protects the eyes. Okay, so first of all, one of the things they mentioned, there's something we've discussed regarding deep-sea creatures as well. You know, you, you bring these up 
uh, through the depths. Stuff implodes or explodes, etc. Nearly implodes, I guess, gets torn. And what you end up with is kind of like the deflated balloon version of the animal as it would exist in the depths. Yeah, this would be like sometimes people go fishing for deep sea fish and pull them up and it looks like they've got some giant tongue sticking out of their mouth. That's actually like their guts being inverted by the yeah. change in pressure because they've got like a, a swim bladder. And then when that comes up to when they come up, the pressure is too low, that inflates and it pops their stomach out. It's really gross. Yeah. So sometimes you'll see threads where people are like, look at this blobfish. How disgusting. What disgusting things live in the depths. And you almost want to see a Gary Larson far side reversal of that situation where you have the like luminous and uh, deep sea creatures that are all spread out and balloony and they have dragged uh, like a human body down into the crushing depths. And they're like, look at this thing. Look at this disgusting creature from the surface world. Yeah. Or just pulled literally pull your body into the vacuum of space and yeah. then say like, what a what a wimp. <laughs> But, but anyway, this description they give, uh, which I really like it, describing it as a cowl-like shield, like what they're saying here is that there is this, this clear uh, like shield on the top of their head. It's filled with fluid, and inside that fluid, behind that shield, are its eyes. Uh, and so this is wondrous when you start thinking about, well, what does it mean when you have translucency or transparency as an option for uh, for flesh on a being, you know, imagined or otherwise. Well, uh, like to come back to Fritz Lieber's ghouls, it would mean why do you need your eyes to, to, to be on the outside of your body at all? Why hmm. not have more material uh, there between your delicate eyes and the, you know, the harmful, stabby outside world? That's an amazing point. Yes, if you have parts of your body that are as clear as glass, you could put your eyes inside those parts. And yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, you could already say that's sort of true. I mean, I guess it's not true because, I mean, we have focusing parts that are basically mm -hmm. right on the exposed parts of our eyes, the, the cornea and the lens and all that. But you could say that the light-sensing cells in our retina are – they're not exposed to the outside. They're in the back of the eye. Mm -hmm. um, so you could just take that another step further and just say, well, let's add another clear protective layer, um, ex except that's just like your skin now outside yeah. the eye. Yeah. Um, and of course, with fish, too, you can also I think there's also a strong argument to be made for like uh, the various like slimy membranes that coat a fish as being an extra level of, of protection that is generally translucent as well. But yeah. um, oh, and you know, just to mention the, the, the Fritz Lieber Gould thing again, uh, we also when thinking about eyes, we also have to remember that with human eyes. Uh, we also have eyelids because it's not just about what light does when it enters the eye. We also need to control how much light is entering the eye. Something that would be, I guess, quite difficult if, you, if your, your eyelids were completely transparent. Mm, yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. 
brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Anyway, back to this fish, because this fish is ultimately even more amazing, because its head is kind of like a space helmet, you know? Yeah. Uh, with eyes looking out through the substance of this call-like shield. And so this leads to you know, the big question, why is it like this? Like, this, is, this isn't, surely isn't a case of, uh, of camouflage, and it doesn't seem to be a case of, like, breaking up the overall outline of the organism. So what is the deal? So the authors here of this paper, they write that the main hypothesis is that the shield is there for protection. It provides protection for these eyes from the tentacles of cnidarians, one of the apparent uh, sources of food for this fish. So we're talking about like stinging jellyfishes and the like. Mm. Uh, So they're gazing up. 
they're hoping to you know, catch sight of some sort of a swirling jelly mass of deliciousness. But the thing about that swirling mass of jelly deliciousness is that it also will have tentacles and uh, nematocysts in there that can, uh, can damage your tissue. Uh, all the better than if there's this extra layer of protection between your delicate eyes and all of that, uh, all of those bioweapons. So it's able to rise up and, uh, and entangle itself in all of that and start eating without damaging its eyes. But you, so you say this is just the reigning hypothesis. I guess this is difficult to test because this is like a delicate deep sea organism and it's right, hard right. to access. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it it seems seems to be the the best argument for what's going on here, and uh, yeah. and yeah, it, it 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 makes sense. Why else have your your eyes so secluded inside of this this strange space helmet like uh, like uh, head uh, cranial feature? It's it's amazing. I love this fish. <laughs> yeah, and again, these images are quite captivating. A lot of people were amazed by this because yeah, it. It, looking at it, not knowing what you're looking at, it's e- easy to mistake uh, some details on the front of the fish's, I mean, for lack of a better word, face, thinking those are the eyes and it has maybe like two globular brains or something. But the the globular things, the, the things that look like a pair of, um, um, of globes, those are the eyes. Wow. And if you the the thing is, if you look up examples of other tubular eyed fish, you can see this a little better. However, this fish is so popular that if you do Google image searches for tubular eyed fish, you're probably going to mostly just see this guy because uh, <laughs> he's just really taken over. He's he's been an internet sensation, stealing the limelight. Uh, but Macropinna is not the only fish that incorporates uh, transparent or translucent body elements, right? Right. Uh, There are a number of other ones. And, you know, now now that you've you've set it up, so I wish I had an example of just a purely camouflage-based translucent fish. Uh, But my next example uh, kind of uh, skews the definition a little bit. but but does contain some some species and specimens that have a translucent look to them. Uh, so in, we're dealing with the crocodile ice fish. Hmm. These compose an entire family, Chanichthidae, uh, of fish that are found in the icy waters of the Southern Ocean and Antarctica. Now, some of these are, again, small enough that photographs of, the, of specimens and species uh, with the right lighting do look partially translucent, but other species, in particular specimens, certainly don't look crystal-like. They just look like some sort of a weird, big-headed gray fish. However, the most interesting thing about these fish is their blood, sometimes described as white blood or translucent blood or transparent blood. This is because their blood is lacking hemoglobin, and they're the only known vertebrates to lack hemoglobin in their blood as adults. Oh, wow. Interesting. And Joe, if you scan down in the notes here, uh, I included an image here uh, from uh, the study I'm about to cite, which you get to see red-blooded uh, fish blood, and then also an example of the the milky white, uh, almost, yeah, trans- I would say translucent blood of these crocodile fish. Ooh. So it's it's not quite androids in the alien franchise level of white blood. It's not like you know milk coming yeah, out of their bodies. That it was remind- opaque white blood. Yeah, that was milk. Yeah, this reminds me of certain um, spirits uh, alcohols that you'll find that have kind of a uh, the, the, uh, like an opaque milky consistency without being like that white. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, as pointed out by uh, Siddle and O'Brien in When Bad Things Happen to Good Fish, excellent <laughs> title, uh, published in Journal of Experimental Biology in 2006, this is a unique trait due to their cold, isolated environment. 
resulting in not only the loss of hemoglobin expression, but sometimes myoglobin expression as well. And to refresh, hemoglobin is a red protein responsible for transporting oxygen in the blood of vertebrates, and myoglobin is a red protein containing heme, which carries and stores oxygen in muscle cells. Right. Myoglobin is a great example. Like uh, if you ever uh, cut open a piece of meat that you get at mm-hmm. you know, the grocery store, that's probably – it's got like some red juice coming out of it. People often call that blood. They think it is blood. But uh, you know, an animal that's been uh, butchered has usually been drained of its blood. That's going to be myoglobin. It's this, mm-hmm. uh, it's this sort of pinkish fluid within the muscles. Yeah. So without either of these being expressed in the organism, the result is that their blood is white or colorless or transparent, if you will. So the authors here point out a few key details about the environment that these fish have evolved to thrive in. So first of all, it's really cold here, obviously. Uh, and it's, it's not only really cold, but it's oxygen-rich, quote, because oxygen solubility in seawater is inversely proportional to temperature. The cold Antarctic seas thus are an exceptionally oxygen-rich aquatic habitat. All right. Mm. On top of that, it's isolated. Um, So you have um, uh, circumpolar currents and deep ocean trenches surrounding the continent of Antarctica, cutting these creatures off from other fauna. And then also the authors state that these fish seem to have evolved with very little niche competition due to a mid-tertiary through present crash in fish diversity. So they've evolved... Yeah, yeah. So they've evolved to do without uh, hemoglobin because of their low metabolic rates in this cold environment, but also due to the high solubility of oxygen in the water uh, at the low temperatures in this environment. However, since their blood carries less than 10% of the oxygen carried in redfish blood, they've also evolved other cardiovascular adaptations, including enormous hearts uh, with cardiac rates that are, uh, uh, quote, four to five fold greater than that of red blooded species. And so, wow. the, yeah. So the, so the authors drive home that this is blood that works really well with creatures that live in a stable, cold water environment. And this region stabilized in such a way uh, roughly 10 to 14 million years ago, allowing ice fish like this to thrive. And again, these are strange looking fish. You look at them, uh, they, sometimes they, they do look extremely translucent. Other times it's just kind of a weird looking gray, big headed fish when, you know, there's a big honking heart in there. <laughs> uh, working extra hard. Looks like a fish that would have fallen off the garage and hit Ralphie in the eye and he, you know, he ends <laughs> up crying. Yeah. <laughs> Broke his glasses. Uh, speaking of, uh, you know, coming back to fictional uh, accounts, I know that the image of Micropena as well as images of some of these um, translucent uh, glass frogs, I think they must have influenced the animators on the series Adventure Time because I can think of a few different cases where you had some sort of a creature pop up on that show that had some sort of translucent aspect of its anatomy that remind me of both of these uh, creatures. Hmm. If one does an internet search for Adventure Time frog wizard, you'll see a character named Buffo that I remember showing up. Yeah, okay. So, wait, am I looking at what the translucent element here looks like it's the throat sack? Am mm-hmm. I right? Like yeah. It kind of puffs up the, the sack and the sack is translucent. Right. Buffo has two wizard hats on his head, but yeah, when he puffs up his throat, you see several different little tadpoles in there that are actually the ones that speak, and each of them has a little wizard hat as well. 
Oh, wow. Oh, this is also, this is a different biological connection. The frogs that keep their, uh, they, they incubate their uh, tadpoles inside mm. their mouths or digestive systems. Yeah, yeah. I feel like for the biological trifecta here, they should also have this wizard frog uh, vomit up its own stomach and scrape it out with its hands and then swallow the stomach again. <laughs> I got into some of this on a, a monster fact a while back about, I uh, can't remember its name offhand, but the, the creature from Super Mario Brothers 2 that spits eggs uh, out of its mouth. Oh, yeah. I remember that thing, yeah. Yeah, but the the closest uh, comparisons really that I could make between that and the natural world, it takes us to the realm of amphibians and frogs uh, uh, incubating their eggs in curious places. And in some cases, ejecting them. This makes me feel like we got to do the biology of why the princess can float for two seconds. She did. She was good. She was my go-to because she could do that little flying thing. I would generally do her or I would do Luigi, uh, but I almost never did Mario or Toad. What was Toad's deal? Could he throw farther or something? I don't even remember. Toad was just... uh, Toad didn't work for me. But then again, I I definitely didn't beat that game. Did not make it very far. (laughs) I got as far as like there's some sort of a Hydra snake, and that was was the the limit. There's a lot of pulling up radishes in that one. one Mm -hmm. And the pulling up of radishes and throwing of radishes, that was pretty satisfying, I guess. But uh, that was way too hard for me as a kid, I guess. Birdo. Birdo was that creature's name. I had to look at it. Birdo. (laughs) Birdo. All right. Does that do it for today? I believe it does. Uh, We're going to go ahead and call it on this episode. Though, uh, again, there are a number of other translucent creatures we didn't have time to get into on this episode. So if you have a particular favorite that we didn't cover, uh, write in about it. We'd love to discuss it. Maybe we can break it down in a future um, episode, future listener mail, something like that. Uh, Also, if you have thoughts on translucent fleshed beings in various fictional works, I'm sure it's not just Fritz Lieber. There have to be some other ones that I'm not thinking of or you know the people that were influenced by by fritz lieber or uh, people that influenced fritz lieber i'm not sure there might be some older examples to draw on but at any rate we'd love to hear from you on any and all of that we remind you that stuff to blow your mind is a uh, primarily a science podcast with our episodes coming out on tuesdays and thursdays those are the core episodes in the stuff to blow your mind podcast feed uh, we usually do listener mail on mondays we also do a short form artifact or monster fact on wednesdays and on fridays we do weird house cinema that's our time to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a strange film huge thanks as always to our excellent audio producer seth nicholas johnson if you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your stuff to blow your mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com.
Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.